Today on Game and Read, we give up. Welcome to Game and Read. My name is Peter. And I'm Aaron. And welcome to an unusual episode for us. This will be our our last episode of this uh, pairing that we started for the the month of April that we've had uh, some delays on, and that is our Kentucky Route Zero and our Strange Highways by Dean Koontz uh, pairing. And, you know, if, if you follow along with us, you know, we you saw our intro episode, you saw our book episode where we ripped apart that uh that weird book and normally we would do a game episode and then also a pairing discussion uh we're going to do things a little bit differently this time around and this isn't going to become a regular thing um we like i said at the beginning of the episode we gave up <laughs> we we really did we we tried um we I'll speak for both of us when I say we struggle to want to continue the game, which we are gonna we're gonna get into why. Um, but we just we've been trying to be in a spot, a mental spot where we're like, yeah, let's give this a shot, and we just can't make ourselves do it. And so, rather than continuing to delay, delay, <laughs> and pretend like we were gonna get around to finishing Kentucky Route Zero, we decided that the best course of action is to give you this um, wrap up. Right. So we're going to do a bit of discussing the game itself. And then while I don't think that'll be very extensive, we will also do what what we can of, of a pairing discussion and also, you know, break down a little bit of why this particular pairing kind of blew up in our, our, our own individual faces with regards to kind of what we were expecting and what we wound up with. One thing I do want to note just beforehand is, you know, if you enjoyed Kentucky Route Zero or haven't played it, I don't want our opinions to necessarily be like the the be-all, end-all. I don't think that should ever be the case, but in particular in this one, I just really think we just bounced off some of the decisions made in Kentucky Route Zero, but perhaps they work better for certain people in different scenarios. Maybe we just weren't in the right mood for it. We'll kind of get into that during the game, but while I think we will be very critical and maybe harsh at times uh to this game i do think it has its own merits and probably some things that maybe we we just totally missed our own in our own experience that led to us having uh, a poor time with this game but i just wanted to give that up front because i don't think it's completely devoid of anything good and there are plenty of people saying the exact contrary to what we're going to be saying saying that this is uh, a great story and a great game um, and I'm sure many of you out there have already, you know, played it and have your own opinions on it already. So more, more so than any other time, I want to put that out there. Cause I feel like I'm going to be really imbalanced for this discussion. One other sort of, um, administrative thing, if we can have administrative things on this podcast, we can, I give us permission <laughs> is that, uh, 
I think we've said it explicitly before, but we are having a child. Um, today is April third. Today is April twenty-seventh. <laughs> it's a day in late April. Um, I am due in mid-May, so baby could come at any time. And that being said, we are going to have a huge adjustment in our lives with the addition of a new member of our family. So the pairing episodes are going to slow down. Right. Instead of being on a mostly monthly schedule or something close to it, um, we're still kind of assessing what it'll be. If we're going to just completely take a break until we feel comfortable starting it up again, or if we're going to kind of go a more sporadic route we're kind of in between on what we want to do with that what we do know is that we want to keep friday reads as a weekly or at least very regular podcast we're going to continue to shoot for weekly um again we'll have to see once baby's here if that's feasible if it's every other week but we will still be putting out friday reads on a regular basis even if our pairings are sporadic and slow and maybe gone for a little bit. <laughs> yes, yeah. The the time spent on Friday reads is much more feasible than the, the the full pairing with regards to us playing, you know, the whole thing and reading the book and being ready to fully discuss for, you know, over three hours is a lot different than just a check in of like, hey, what you play and what you're reading, which even when we are busy, I think I'm still gonna make time for some video games and Aaron's definitely gonna be reading plenty um, whenever she's conscious and, you know, has an, a hand free <laughs> and the other one <laughs> holding a baby. Um, so I think we're going to keep that going as long as we can. So never fear. Game and read is still here. You just had to do the rhyme. I just had to do the rhyme. I had nothing after that. I just thought the rhyme was fun. <laughs> we're still around. <laughs> So I don't necessarily have a great place to start with this, but I guess if you're listening to this and you are not familiar with Kentucky Route Zero outside of what you've heard on this, uh, the premise of the game is, I guess, technically based around this this delivery driver, Conway, who needs to make some sort of antique delivery to a strange address. Um, and he's told during the first episode that the only way the, that he can get there is through, by taking the zero, which is this underground mysterious route called Kentucky Route Zero um, that I guess kind of just exists under the the mountains of Kentucky. Yeah, it it's very unclear who knows about the Zero and who doesn't. And I will say I'm going to jump in and throw cast the first stone that I think that is one of my issues with the just the premise of the game I think it's really cool that there's this highway that runs under Kentucky and it's like mystical and magical and no one really knows what it's about but it feels like everybody knows about it except Conway but then no one knows how to get on it it felt very we know it exists kind of like they couldn't decide who knows what and that, it just, it bothered me the whole time. Because I was like, who knows who, about the Zero? And then people, it looks like they know about the Zero, but then they don't. Or they, like, know how to get to it, but don't know what to do once you're on it. 
it just felt like a, a half formed highway. <laughs> well, I, I think going on that point, my critique would be I don't know what constitutes as the zero. The different places you travel on the episodes, there's the the fourth episode, which is where we ended up stopping of five, just because we pushed as much as we could and we just don't want to play anymore. It's like they're on a river. They like take a river boat, but I think that river is still on the zero. I think it's very unclear what counts and doesn't count as the zero. Cause when you start the game, you're kind of just on these normal roads in Kentucky uh, along whatever highway it is, whatever interstate. And then you like enter the zero, but you have to find the entrance. And that's a whole thing in the first episode too. But then there's stuff on the zero, but it's also looping. And I, I guess this is an example of like surrealism and magical realism. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that that was what they were going for. Yes. And it could have been very cool. But I agree that you never know what counts as the zero. And it just makes it so muddy. And I'm not saying that we needed a clear cut. This is on the zero. This is not on the zero. But like the river has very zero vibes. But then some people talk about it as if it's not part of the zero or like it feels like, is it or is it not? Is the river adjacent to the highway? Is it its own thing? I feel like there was just too much surrealism, perhaps, in the concept of travel, especially because you start on real, real, quote unquote, real roads you have to find the entrance to the zero. And then when you're on the zero, you literally just like go in circles and there are different symbols. And that's how you know if you should like turn around. Yeah. And then you go a different way. It just, it felt like there was too much surrealism for at least for me to understand or get a grasp of anything. Right. I would argue, and this is something I'm going to hit on a lot. I think there was too much surrealism for a standard video game or a most for a video game like I, I think there's a certain level of obviously video games are very surreal in themselves but they have kind of their own set of rules where it's like you know like nothing actually makes logical sense in the world of mario but it all makes sense within the world of mario kind of, of like why jumping on something would just kill it and yada 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 but this this game is just like and one of the big things I'm going to come to is I, I don't quite see why this was a video game. And I personally think I could have connected more with some of the the stories and the dialogue and the characters were this presented in a different format in, you know, uh, a book, uh, some sort of multimedia, some sort of animated feature even or, you know, uh, acted out. I guess it'd be hard because in real live action would be difficult to do some of the effects they have. But I think there's a reason there isn't necessarily a ton of surreal in like the literary sense video games out there. There are several and they're, they're all kind of in the same genre of technically adventure games with kind of walking simulatory, but Kentucky Route Zero in particular, I would think really lacked a lot of interaction that I would expect in any video game, even a very, very story and dialogue driven one. Well, and that leads to a good point about the level of play and interaction and that it didn't feel like a video game. So 
there is essentially no voice acting. I think we get a couple. There's a little interlude with a phone that is actually very clever and very fun. Yeah. And that is all voice acted, which is, I think, part of why it sticks out positively in my <laughs> brain. Um, but for the most part, it is a quiet or silent game. And you are reading pages of text. Yeah. Like, I do feel like I should be able to log this in my Goodreads as a book. <laughs> I, like, it just, it, the interactions are pushing X, sometimes choosing dialogue choices, and then walking around, but you're really on, like, a very linear path. Like, you, it's the illusion of exploration, but it's not like you're you have to go a certain way. You're really pushed in certain ways. And so I totally agree that video a video game was not, in my opinion, the right form of media to tell this story. And I think the expectation, the expectation of it being a video game set it set itself up for failure because I have something in mind when I think of a video game, even like a a walking simulator. Um we were talking about Gone Home. Yeah. Which some which some people could argue is very simplistic, but you actually interacted with things and like there were there's sound cues and voiceovers and things like that. And so even in like a a simple walking simulator game, you have some like ideas of what that and what that means and so to have this game where you hear crickets and car noises and you read yeah and you can't even you cannot look away for three seconds because you have to read everything there is no voiceover for anyone there's no music cues to like <laughs> very little it's to, just no it just it was so it was just so not a game to me yeah and i think if we were to compare this to a marginally similar game i would say night in the woods is a game that i think you know, you could argue has similar flaws, but what I would say makes them different. So so in Night in the Woods, there are more interactions you can actually do. And some of them, like there's no like point, there's not a score. Whether you succeed or fail doesn't really affect the game that much, but they are at least interaction. It feels like you're more actually controlling a character and some of the decisions they make, even if it's just like they played a song badly. And I think that's where these two games kind of stand. Oh, and, and they're they're very different on their own. They're telling different t- kinds of stories. But outside of me liking the story of Night in the Woods more, I also just enjoyed jumping and walking around as I'm blanking on the character's name. May? May. Yeah, as May, because it actually felt like a, a video game. It felt like, hey, I'm controlling her. I can explore the town she lives in. I can choose who she hangs out with. And it felt like there were consequences to the actions I was taking with the controller, which is the difference between an interactive game and uh, a book with pictures. This is like a overly wordy comic book is what I kind of got from Kentucky Route Zero, except I didn't find the illustrations nearly as enjoyable to look at as most comic books. And there's just too much text all the time. Well, and I think you bring up a really good point with the illustration and the visuals is that the visuals 
are very simple. It's all black yeah. and white, right? Like or, no, it's not black and white. It's but not they black like, and white. They they lack like it's, facial features. It's very. It's like broken down into more simplified shapes. It's not all black and white, but there's a no. lot of black and white. Yeah. There's a lot of like it's dark. It's dark. It's simple shapes. It's a cool style, but when you pair it with an insane amount of text and no and not an unsatisfactory sound design it just is like it i had nothing to connect with it's like i liked the visual style but not in the way that they used it in combination with these other elements of the game and i think that that's one thing uh talking about characters is that connection to characters you don't get it visually really you don't you don't really get it visually you don't get it audi- audibly because there's no voice there's not even like um like musical motifs for mm-hmm. characters or places like you don't get you don't get audio clues you just don't get to for me you don't get to know anyone in a meaningful way and nothing feels like they don't feel like real characters. I couldn't find something to connect with them because they felt so removed from the experience. And, and part of that I think too, is that you switch around who you control randomly and like you switch around who's who you are like when you're being talked to and so who you respond as and it feels like there's no rhyme or reason like you'll be in a conversation and you'll be responding as Conway the the trucker but then all of a sudden you'll be responding as Shannon um the cousin of Weaver who you're she's the tv repair lady she's the tv repair lady but it's in the same like it's a conversation between Conway and Shannon and right. you work on And you're responding on both ends. And now you're Shannon. And it's just like, wait, <laughs> what is happening? Yeah. It just, there just felt like so many points where I, you could connect with the characters and every single one of them just like got chopped. Like, nope, you don't get that way to connect. Nope. Nope. That one's closed off too. Right. They did. Like, I feel like they added more than they wanted to. Then, the, then they ended up putting in like kind of depth wise is kind of what you're saying. It's yes, because like, because by episode four you suddenly have like Junebug and Johnny, this like musician duo, and you have this kid Ezra, um, and then Shannon and Conway, and then Conway still has his old dog with him, and Conway's kind of increasingly seems to be like breaking down in some way, but it's not that clear. No, what it, it, it and I get that they want to be kind of. They don't want to just put it all out there, which is understandable. But at a certain point, if it's not enjoyable, like confusion, it's just confusion and boredom. It's going to lead into just somebody being like, I don't I don't care anymore. Let me just turn this off. <laughs> let, me, let me go play something that I can, you know, either parse out or is more interesting while being confusing. So 
one aspect of this game I also was was disappointed by. We'll get to the positives. We will get to positives. I, I, ha- I have some positives. I have a couple. But one more thing I want to touch on um, that I think is a critique and that I was just disappointed by is that this is set supposed to be set in Kentucky. And I, I mean, I've been in Kentucky many, I'd say many, multiple times. Several times. Several times. And Kentucky is a beautiful state. Like there, I mean, you especially got the, in the ma- mountains. especially in the mountains. Like you, it's 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 a very it's a beautiful state. And I, so I was excited for this game to be set in Kentucky. It's a beautiful setting. Um, if you think about like the kind of the Southern Appalachian culture, I had listened to some of the soundtrack of Kentucky Route Zero, and there are a couple like actual songs, and they're yeah. like Americana, bluegrassy, like cool songs. I don't know where the like the music where? I've been playing in these episodes. <laughs> like I bought the soundtrack, and that's why I'm you know using these files, <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> Where in the game most of these songs are happening? Because it's like it's a very enjoy. Honestly, it's a pretty good CD. Even like kind of like more background sounding tracks, pretty good. I felt like this game was silent. We had the volume on the whole time, and it was just like it just felt like most of the time there was no noise or very little uh, audio scapes going on. And I had gotten so excited because I love bluegrass and. Americana and country music. Like, that's, like, music that I love. And I listened to these couple songs on the soundtrack before we started playing, and I was like, oh, my God, these, like, these are actually great songs. Like, I would listen to these separately. Great vibes. Kentucky, great setting. And then it was just like, nope. (laughs) You don't get (laughs) the music. You don't get the visual setting in a way that, that, captured any of the beauty of Kentucky to me and and I know this is like again as Peter you said at the beginning of our episode like if you've played this game and you liked it don't like we're not trying to whatever I just I I had these expectations that just none of them were met even a little bit like like they set it up to be something that it wasn't and the setting is one of those things that was especially disappointing. Right. I will say that might be that that like kind of lack of natural beauty might be part of what I'm guessing might be one of their kind of like background themes of kind of, you know, the the destitution. Everyone seems to be kind of like miserable and poor. But like they don't say it super explicitly, but everyone's kind of like got if they have a job, it's kind of eh. It's like, you know, I, I, I'm a part-time delivery driver for a, a random antique store. I fix old tube, t- old tube TVs because that's all anybody has. Uh, I'm a struggling musician. I'm a child who's lost his family, presumably. And I, I think, you know, when they are in the slightly more natural areas, they're all kind of being exploited or broken down in different ways. Um, and so I think that's probably part of it. But... At the same time, there are a couple points where they're clearly in supposed to be what is kind of a nice country area, like when they're in the forest uh, after getting picked up by that giant eagle. Which there's a giant eagle. What yes, the- who who takes them to a doctor who lives in the middle of the woods. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, they are in the woods. And that looked kind of pretty, but it wasn't really, you know, it, it for, for the amount of work I'm sure these folks put into it, I just feel like I didn't see 
something that really communicated that to me. So that maybe that's not what they were going for. I don't know. Well, and I would argue that if they were going for this like starkness and and like the environment being exploited and it being you know a indication of the socioeconomic status of the area and just like what's going on i also think that's flawed <laughs> as, <laughs> no but like as someone again like who's been i've been high school i went on mission trips whatever one of them well the one i went on i went to the appalachia region i worked yeah. for as appalachia search project whatever and we worked in neighborhoods and areas and hollers that like like were incredibly low income yeah and guess what yeah there's some like natural like there's strip mining we saw strip mining we saw that kind of stuff but there's also a lot of natural beauty still (laughs) and like and, and i think that this idea that you're using the landscape to show how depressing like depressed a community is economically that you're like, oh, I'm going to take this landscape and just like it's going to it's going to reflect this terrible economic depression. I think perpetuates this idea of like the hillbilly, poor, coal country stereo. Like that's a very real like stereotype. Look at J.D. Vance, right? <laughs> like hillbilly elegy. But I think it, whether they meant to do it or not, I think it it backs up some of those assumptions of like, oh, it's just this poor place. Like right. it's just these destitute this destitute area. But and I don't I, I don't think they were showing that with their visual. No, no, though. no. No, but I think that they could I think that they did a disservice to Kentucky as a region <laughs> by not putting what I felt was enough care into the envi- the natural environment, which is beautiful and is you know is not all just dark and and exploited i just think it was sort of like what they didn't say still doesn't still isn't great okay is what i'm saying i'm not saying that they're making that connection but i'm saying like i think in the end you're kind of also saying it just (laughs) didn't feel like kentucky exactly it didn't telegraph that enough that since they do have a distinct location they should work and maybe it's very hyper specific like i've not been to the the mammoth cave region i haven't spent much time in kentucky myself but there are visual cues built in with you know people who consume media and things and it's like there are some things you could telegraph to make it feel to to present some sort of image and feeling like i i I don't feel like i know what sort of like plants people and whoever they're saying live in this area it's a little vague and all over the place exactly as far as things that i think uh this game did do well i do think there were moments where the writing does hit some very good high notes i think there was some interesting kind of dry humor um throughout you know different portions of each episode and there were a couple of times that I think they were making very interesting decisions with how you interacted with the game, even if I necessarily disagreed as to whether or not they were entertaining or worth it. Um, I, they certainly went for it. And so one one thing in particular that I really thought was both kind of like dark, like it was just kind of darkly humorous. So uh, the second episode deals a lot with this 
organization, the um, Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces, which is this kind of weird, it's unclear if it's a governmental organization or what, it's located on the Zero, and at one point you're kind of going through files in it, and you see files, basically, they're turning distilleries into graveyards, um, they're turning churches into, like, storage units, and storage units into churches, where they're just, like, re-jiggering what each individual thing was um in these kind of like weird funny ways and they don't like come out and out be like haha here's jokes but that whole like concept just really struck me as kind of funny because when you see like when, when we're tying in kind of you know revitalization projects and when we're talking about like economically depressed areas yada 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 uh you see like oh they're gonna take this thing that was used this one way and they're gonna turn it into a, a brewery or distillery things that'll draw in tourists where like everything like the building's intended purpose no longer matters and you can just kind of return it into something in sometimes nonsensical ways. And I thought that scene kind of captured that idea well, assuming I'm at all on the right thing. But that's what it was saying to me, at least. I agree that I think the writing hit some great points at some times. <laughs> that is one of them. Also in that chapter, you're in the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces and there's a floor you can go to that's just bears. Yeah, and it's literally I mean, that's funny. <laughs> it's literally just bears, which I thought was like a funny, clever like. No, this is really just what it is. You can't do anything. It's just bears. Um, and then some of the some of the dialogue I did find interesting. I uh, there were moments that I thought like, oh, this is a good moment, but um, but they didn't last. But I wish, and granted, we did not finish this game, so I don't know. But the character of Ezra, he's this little boy who's lost his family, but he has this best friend who's a giant eagle. And I'm like, that's such an interesting character. And, like, he's living in this, um, like... It's like a museum of homes, but every yeah. people still live in all the homes. People live in all the homes. They're like paid to leave their homes and move to a home in the museum of homes. That is a really interesting idea. And like that actually that scene or that that portion of the chapter, you are you are running and you can like inspect or investigate, I don't know, interact with each little like plaque outside the houses. And instead of it being Conway talking about t Conway and Shannon talking about it, it's the residents of the Museum of Homes talking about Conway and Shannon. And I found that to be a really interesting way to tell that part of the story of like it's it's people's perception of what Conway and Shannon are doing and who they are and what their motivations are. Um, and so that I, I thought that that was an example of of a really clever, a clever way to move things along. Right. And but here's the thing. When we played that scene, I remember you getting so mad because the perspective was so wonky. It was hard to tell if we had more of the museum to explore. Oh, so, my God. Yeah. So you pair like one good thing of like, oh, this is a yep. really interesting concept. It really dives into like, once again, like the commodification of what used to be just like the culture and way of life here into something that's just got to be like preserved for people to come visit instead of just an ongoing way of life. Um. But then you just pair that with, like, it was miserable to walk around this, and we tried finding an elevator, and one time it, like, clipped us through the elevator, and it was weird. It was just, like, 
you know, interesting idea and then mediocre design. And design is such a big portion of a game, obviously. And when (laughs) when all the dialogue is reading, it makes the design even more important. I did. I and reflecting back, I think I would have enjoyed that a lot more had I been able to like control the camera because you can't control the camera. Yeah. Like you're just standing there watching the text scroll upward. So frustrating because I couldn't figure out like, can I go around this corner? Is there more? I can't see. I'm trying to move, but I don't totally can't move where I think I'm moving because the camera's at a weird angle. And so it it tainted what I think was a well-done, a well-written scene was just botched. And I do think that was indicative of um, or an example of one of, I would say, our major issues. That kept, we kept breaking it up like, oh, that would have been really great if we had been able to do X, Y, Z. <laughs> oh, that would have been really cool if we hadn't spent eight hours. You know, it was just like. What a great monologue. I'd love to hear it spoken. Exactly. <laughs> In a multimedia format. Exactly. So it was. I think it it, it paired some really great moments with just crap <laughs> design or <laughs> this massive blocks of text or things like that. Yeah. Well, and I think that really just comes back to it. It's like th- this game has a, a full one act play in it where you just are sitting there and you're technically a character in the play, but you're also a character that doesn't have any lines nor much in the way of stage direction. That was the moment. And you have to look in different locations for what your next prompts are, including the audience and the stage lights and the people talking on stage. That was the moment I knew we would not finish this game. because (laughs) That was the prologue to episode three, I think. That was the moment that I knew there's no way. We literally sat there for, what, 30 minutes, I think? 45 minutes? Something like It was a it long was, time. It was a full one-act play. And it was a full play. We, like, it, and you don't know what you're getting into when you start that interlude. And so you are, we were just like, can we get up and leave? No. Can we, can we look around? Sure. We can. Oh, look. That popped up. Will that move things along? Uh, no, not really. But you need to click on it because for some reason they want you to know this fact. It was just so frustrating. Yeah. Well, and part of me is like, I imagine what if this was written just as like kind of a uh, pistolary style novel where they do have all these different because you're, you're encountering things like files, computer screens, plays, art pieces, sculptures, um, just spoken dialogue. And part of me goes like, oh, I think this could have been a really neat book, like an interesting book, a kind of epistolary style book. And I guess they, I get they didn't want to do that. And they chose video games as their mode of expression. But I'm not sure what putting it in a video game added to the experience. And I think it detracted some of the experience. I guess the one thing of having a video game adds is that you can put in a lot of side details that are optional. And some additional choices along the way. And maybe they did. But at a certain point, I wasn't that interested with them because there wasn't anything drawing my interest to them. I wasn't invested enough to explore any of the potential bonuses or side things going on. Yeah. No, it's it's like I want these guys to uh, maybe work with some people who are a bit better at programming games. (laughs) Or like designing gameplay experience. Where it's like, hey, you actually can move around and do a thing. 
You can you can control it. Cause this is like it's it's just you you control going through the motions, and those motions are scrolling text, moving from point A to point B, and that's about it. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through my treasures and my hopes are placed beyond the blue many friends and kin have gone i mean i don't have a ton else to say like i said we got through so it's five episodes total we were like halfway through episode four and that's when we kind of just set it down and we haven't picked it up in a week at this point. It's just like, yeah, I think we're, I think we're done here. Um, but that, that's Kentucky Route Zero. It's, it's a game. And I think, you know, maybe if I had been playing it on my own and was a bit more prepared for it to be really text heavy, I could have enjoyed it. But I think I was expecting it to be not snappier, but just like a little, just a little bit more entertaining. And I don't think everything needs to be like, you know, a gas. <laughs> it doesn't all have to be like fun, but dramas are still entertaining. Um, books about people being sad can still be entertaining or some way, or at least hold your interest. And I feel like this just really couldn't do it for me. And I was, I really wanted to, I was, I didn't pick this out of like spite. I really wanted to like it. I was expecting to like it. And I'm just, you know, pretty bummed with uh, my experience with it. I agree. I wanted this game to be great. I was intrigued by the premise. I, I think that it just wasn't executed in a way that I could connect with at all. Um, there were no characters that I felt especially like uh, interested in or invested in. Um, it just, it just didn't do it for me. So maybe it might do it for you listener. <laughs> it might <laughs> clearly it did it for a lot of people because this was a highly like applauded game when it was all finished. Um, or you can find a lot of articles about people saying it's like one of the best games of the decades and and that kind of thing and and so I'm sure that it obviously it connects with some people um and and one thing that is clear I think from us doing this podcast is that is and one of the points of this podcast is that media will connect with different people in different ways and this is just one that for us happened to flop grandly yeah completely <laughs> not what I was expecting now that we have uh, dissected, <laughs> dissected our book, Strange Highways by Dean Koontz, and our game, Kentucky Route Zero, uh, let's talk about them as best we can in relation to each other. You know, the thing these two had the most in common was that I thought I was going to like them. <laughs> I was going to say, the first thing that comes to my mind about a commonality is that we were sold a different bill of goods. <laughs> this is I did not expect the book or the game to go the way they did based on what I read about them beforehand. So they have that in common. <laughs> my perception. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, really, they, they don't have a ton in common. Um, their location is slightly similar in that they're both kind of uh, Appalachian-adjacent 
obviously uh strange highways is you know kind of the pennsylvania part of it but it's in the hills because there's coal mining and all that stuff so it's definitely in the kind of the allegheny region um whereas this is more in the you know appalachian eastern kentucky Mm -hmm. is that where mammoth cave is i'm gonna find out yeah i guess we should have looked that up since it's relevant to uh this game it's gotta be in eastern kentucky no it's in western kentucky really it's in western kentucky i mean technically it's closer to like central kentucky okay it's 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 essentially just north of nashville but it's still in like hilly areas oh 100 percent. yes okay on most of Kentucky's hilly areas. I know. <laughs> I know. It's just like one of those things where it's just like, I don't know. The Appalachians are weird. <laughs> Did you know the Appalachians stretch to Pennsylvania too? Yes. Okay. They go all the way up to like Maine. They do. Like Maine to Georgia is the Appalachian Trail. Exactly. Yeah. No, I've I've done my research. <laughs> I read A Walk in the Woods. <laughs> I read a book about the oldest woman to ever walk the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> really? Yeah. She was like 65. Oh, I read it to my kid. I don't know why I expected her to be older. No, she wasn't that old. <laughs> it would have been impressive if she was older. <laughs> Truly. No, I. it's a great kid's book. I cannot remember what it is. Do you remember involved. her name? Nope. Oh, man. But uh, we should probably keep talking about these. <laughs> so they're both in relatively similar-ish regions yes. of kind of, you know, the, the, the hills and mountains of uh, the, the what used to be the Midwest. <laughs> they They do both have a protagonist who is... Uh, not down on his luck, but who has some complex experiences and feelings. And they both do deal with alcoholism in different ways. Uh, We didn't quite fully get to it, but it seemed in um, episode four, they were strongly talking or hinting at uh, that Conway does seem to have some issues with alcohol in some capacity. Mm -hmm. And this is after he gets like indentured into working at the distillery with the skeleton people yeah no that was that was an interesting (laughs) concept and chapter but also just kind of like what i yeah (laughs) i mean it's it's one of those things where you could just read everything a million different ways um so there's some stuff in common as far as who i mean i'd be real surprised if in the fifth chapter the big bad was literally satan um but i wouldn't be surprised if there was a time travel element that's true. There wasn't in the first four chapters, but what if they just threw one in? Why not? Apparently, there's a flood in the last chapter. Oh, man. And the horses died. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. Okay. So no devil, no Satan. Okay. No one crawling upside down on the ceiling. <laughs> this is great podcasting right now. <laughs> this is, well, I mean, it's it's just it's just one of those things where it's like uh, I I would say we would have more to talk about if Strange Highways wasn't as off the wall crazy, I, and we already went into that so much in detail because I really thought that was going to be more introspective. I think in the process, and it really wasn't. I think had Strange Highways been less Satan and more reflection yeah we would have a lot more to compare between the two things because i do think that there are some overall connections like the setting like the kind of complex protagonist the alcoholism the region in decline region in decline what are you doing with your life like there's a lot of people who are like what are you like a lot of memory talk. A lot of memory talk. I think that these things would have gone together a lot better had Dean Koontz not been insane. 
<laughs> and brought Satan into the mix. Literal devils. <laughs> Which apparently, according to Jordan, um, he does that in all his books. Really? So Jordan was not surprised about the <laughs> Satan element. We were. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that that really just like threw this pairing in a way that neither of us anticipated was that the book was going to actually deal with the devil and Satan and, and supernatural evil. Mm-hmm. And that the game was going to be so text heavy and surrealism. Like, I think that those, th- those particular elements of each thing threw us out of whack. Well, I also thought Strange Highways was going to be a bit more about a journey. Yes. Because, agreed. you know, at the beginning, and then he suddenly is at the crossroads, and he's, he literally talks about, like, these strange highways that pull him in different directions. And I thought it was going to be kind of like a, like, I keep bringing up, like, I thought it was going to just be a bit more introspective, but I thought there was going to be some, like, travel or at least kind of mental travel involved. But really, it stayed hyper-local to, you know, the two towns where it takes place. Uh, whereas at least Kentucky Route Zero does live up to that in that it's about this kind of weird meandering journey with probably a minimal payoff. It's like, what's in the truck? I don't know. They never really bring up what's in it. So it's kind of one of those, like, is it a mystery or is it just something mundane? Is it just like a nice armoire? What's at the this address? The like one Dogwood Avenue or whatever. Who knows? It's just a non-pairing, and that's why we just we give up on on this particular one. And I I think that's one of kind of the 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 te- parts of you know this project, this experiment in podcasting that we do, that we don't read and play these beforehand most of the time. Occasionally, we recommend something that it's I've already played or you've already read or vice versa, and then we find something that goes with it. And those are ones where sometimes we can find a lot of like on paper similarities but not a lot of thematic similarities and in this one we're like hey these both sound pretty interesting in concept i've been meaning to play this game at some point dean Koontz, you know he's a he's a pop lit guy but why not let's give it a shot we like to read you know a lot of stuff and sometimes that means airport books um but hey all books are books and i think there's some lessons to be learned from from all this as far as uh what we're going to select and what kind of beforehand research we might do <laughs> with certain types of games. We now need to be looking at the um, author or game developers. Do they believe in Satan literally? <laughs> exactly. Religious history. <laughs> before. No, I agree. I think, well, and I think that this is one of the aspects that we've been lucky that most of the time our pairings have had enough in common that we can have a really interesting discussion um there have been a couple that have flopped a little like flopped but not so hard um and i think that's just one of you know one of the aspects of of talking about these two kinds of media together uh and you know it's it's fun when i have already read the book and so or you've already played the game and so we do have that information and can try and find a really great pairing um but you know it's it's uh the risks of our of our project and the limits of our reading and gameplay time (laughs) that we don't pre-approve or like 
preview by literally playing or reading our books and games ahead of time. So, you know, it was bound, we were bound to have one that was a true train wreck. <laughs> it just happened to be this one. Well, I mean, we had one that we technically didn't finish, and that's why I did this episode true. to avoid it. We never finished our pairing of The Eye of the World and um, Divinity Original Sin. Even though those are excellent pieces of media. They're both great independently, but honestly, there wasn't a whole lot to discuss no. there. And I think we just had some personal issues come up, and that's why we didn't end up recording it at all. But that's kind of our only uh, incomplete pairing. Yep. Um, and while I, I honestly, I fully recommend Divinity Original Sin. And oh my you, god! I if love you that like game. big fantasy books, Eye of the World was good, and it turns into a very, very big fantasy series. So they're both good on their own, but I just don't think they blended well enough for us to really get you know a nice talk out of it so this is i'm gonna chalk this up as a failure number two but at least we finished the episodes Woohoo! <laughs> i mean that's all we have for you this week we really appreciate you uh listening and Getting through this whole experience with us, I will uh, repeat again: don't don't read that book. Bless you if you stuck with us through all three episodes of this. <laughs> but you can uh, find all of our better episodes as well episodes about better things. Maybe you like this one uh, at gameandread.wordpress.com and wherever you get your podcast: Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We're everywhere you can find them. You can also follow us on social media. I am on Twitter at Bookish Text and on Instagram at A Tale of Two Shelves. I am also on Twitter at Game and Read, and we have an Instagram with that same handle. Our intro music was written and performed by Avery Murchison, and there is a link to his band camp in the description. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> Game and Read.